In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Most of our Epiphany Gospel readings describe heavenly apparitions, startling miracles, signs such as a descending dove, a transfigured Christ on the mountaintop, and the voice from heaven proclaiming Jesus to be the Chosen One, the Messiah, God's Son, and thus meaning three successive glorifications in our readings, a multifaceted announcement that Jesus is the one sent from God. And all this firmly grounds his ministry. But here we have a fairly short reading. John the Baptist has been arrested. Jesus is in Galilee, where he himself makes a short proclamation. And a few new disciples are enlisted. It seems sort of nondescript at first reading. No apparent marvels like hovering doves or glowing transfigurations, even though there is that memorable saying about fishing for people. But, as is typical of Mark the Evangelist, there is a lot behind these lines. That first sentence, that John the Baptist has been in prison, shows how the powers of this world react to God's messengers with violence and oppression. But this sentence also tells us that the end of John's baptismal age has come, and with this arrived the beginning of the baptismal age of Jesus. And what we hear in Jesus' words is this baptismal formula for the new age. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the good news. And that statement is the baptism of the world and the baptism of all time. It is the fulcrum that pivots creation. That is the first impactful statement, the first cosmic bombshell in this passage. The next is Jesus' encounter with persons chosen to be disciples. It is more than it seems because it parallels exactly the prophet Elijah's encounter with Elisha, who became Elijah's follower and eventual successor. Exactly so, Jesus stands in the sandals of the prophets and chooses those who will follow him and be his successor and will carry his word. And what that encounter must have been like, Jesus must have seen and foreseen the potential of these simple fishermen. There is no assumption that the fishermen had ever heard about Jesus. They seem to simply have been overawed and overcome in the encounter with someone so strangely divine. In any case, the fishermen were hooked and reassigned from fishing for fish to fishing for people. Now, it's probably true that being a fisherman in ancient Israel was not easy work. There was no radar, no GPS, 
no life preservers or distress players, a radio to call for help, just a wooden boat and deep water. And they didn't have fish finders. Just watch for a flock of birds or just go to the usual spot and hope that the fish agreed. So, a successful day or a successful night of fishing was not assured, and successful fishing isn't even assured today, even with the tools I mentioned. And speaking as someone who has spent a great deal of time fishing, trust me that this is true. And once you are back to shore, there might be fish to be dealt with, and then nets and boats had to be repaired. It was a hard and uncertain existence on the shore. The new disciples may have been leaving the unpleasant or the unknown for what would become sparse lives that would end in martyrdom for some of them. Yet there was something that made them sure, that made them follow. It's noteworthy that there wasn't the usual protest that one ordinarily hears from a prophet who is approached by God for the first time. That sort of a, uh, no, no, you've got the wrong person. I can't be a prophet. Well, I have to wash my hair tonight. And, but there is in this reading only the new disciples laying down their necks and following as they were called. Jesus' words to them that are more properly translated as, Come after me, may not only harken back to Eliza and Elisha, but also reflect the ancient Jewish practice of a student following behind a rabbinical teacher, or even echo Plato's first summon to Xenophon to follow, then, and learn. These things might easily have come to mind for those who heard Mark's gospel in the ancient world. You know, in Mark's complex structures, this notion of Jesus going before the disciples who will follow him may foreshadow the completion of Mark's gospel after the resurrection, where the instructions conveyed to the disciples are to follow the risen Jesus back to Galilee. It's calling officials the people and try to complete the initial sentence in our reading, where Jesus proclaims the nearness of the coming reign of God, calling for repentance, which is like Jeremiah's prophecy that God will send out fishermen upon the earth to capture the wayward and bring them to judgment. Yet these new disciples will now bring souls to joy. The scholar Joel Marcus summarized this section of Mark as giving the Markham community that was at that time suffering profound persecution a preview of what the world will look like when it has been transformed by the healing touch of Jesus. Jesus is portrayed here as the one who gives purpose to human existence 
who integrates lives that have been physically and psychologically shattered, and who enables the living dead to re-enter the world from which they have been banished. In short, as the one who restores to life its God-given wholeness and peace, its shalom. Mark's meaning aimed at this particular moment in time. Yet I think every generation and every life at some point encounters unparalleled and unimagined tribulation, dislocation, and estrangement. The words of Mark's Jesus can comfort and startle us now as they did Simon, Peter, and Andrew, and the sons of Zebedee on a lake shore. So these few sentences from our gospel reading do indeed carry the greater message. The kingdom of God is near. The new age has come. Repent and rejoice. Tell the good news. Jesus, who stands with the prophets, is come to lead us all into this new time. Let your soul lay down the nets of this world and follow him. He is calling us by the lakeside of our lives to care for and to gather the lost fish who swim among and around us. And this is not an easy task, for it means throwing life preservers to those trapped in the nets of this world, to those who, like the drowning, may struggle against their rescue, if not their rescuers. I'll close with these traditional, off-red, yet always worth repeating words from Albert Schweitzer, who wrote in his work, The Quest of Historical Jesus, that he comes to us as one unknown, without a name, as of old by the lakeside. He came to those men who knew him not. He speaks to us the same words. Follow thou me, and sets us to the task which he has to fulfill for our time. He commands, and to those who obey him, whether they be wise or simple, he will reveal himself in the toils, the conflicts, the suffering which they shall pass through in his fellowship. And as an ineffable mystery, they shall learn in their own experience who he is.